I want to welcome everybody who's watching online. We are wrapping up this week our series that we've been on for most of the summer called This Is My Story, This Is My Song. And what we've done each week is we've taken a classic hymn. Some are familiar. Some, you may be brand new to church and have never heard it before. But what I want you to do is leave with a new appreciation of the depths of God and his relationship with people. And so this week, we're going to be wrapping up with the oldest hymn that we've gone over and probably the most popular, written in 1772 by a man by the name of John Newton called Amazing Grace. And what I want to do, what I what I've liked that we've been doing in this season is to look at these hymns, learn what the writer was going through and the situations around it because it adds depth to it, and then how we can apply those biblical principles to our lives today. And when we hear the song Amazing Grace, both of those words are used so much in today's society that they kind of become dull. They kind of become diluted. But I want you to imagine for a moment, put yourself in John's shoes of what it would look like as he's writing Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound of Save the Wretch Like Me. You see, you've got to know a little more of John's story. When John was six years old, his mother passed away. Now, I've told you this before, that almost every one of these hymns that we've looked at, they faced some sort of tragedy at a very young age. And what I've said before is, is it almost is at a very young age, when you've gone through something difficult, it causes you to lean into God and draw closer to him that you wouldn't maybe not necessarily do if everything went picture perfect in your childhood. I know most of your stories. I know that some of you went through some very difficult things at a young age, but I think it also made you rely on God a little more and your relationship can become more mature and deeper. And John is no different. But John, the story of John Newton is the story of you and I often. It's this idea of an encounter with God and then when God shows up, we slowly go back to our comfortable lifestyle and forget what God did. And that's really what I want us to look at today. And so John, was he joined the Royal Navy of Great Britain. And what he did is he worked on ships. And one day there was a violent storm, and he did the same type of prayer you and I do sometimes when things go bad. God, if you let me survive, I will live for you for the rest of my life. Sounds like Jonah and the whale, right? It sounds like this time when I was in high school that I ate a box of, uh, it was a box of bad taquitos. And I threw up for like three days. It was my friend Nate Henry's fault. He's not here today. You're playing hooky, Nate. So I'm gonna tell this story about you. He bought this box of frozen, you know, you bought this, you know, Nate. He bought this box of frozen taquitos from Sam's Club, but his mom told him to bring it in the house and he just left it on top of the freezer in the garage in a California summer. And then I go over and he's like, hey, we just got some taquitos. Do you want some? Absolutely, I do. Then I puked my guts out for three days. And in the middle of all that, I was like, God, if you just help me feel better, I will never sin again. And clearly that didn't happen. <laughs> clearly, I can hear my wife say amen. And so John did that. And, and I think that that prayer probably was true. And there's salvation. But then there's walking with Jesus. And it's different. Salvation is different than actively pursuing becoming more and more like God. They're very different. One's called infant faith and one's mature faith. So he goes back to life. And now he takes a job on the crew of a slave ship in which they would 
go on a boat and sail to Africa. They would pick up slaves and they'd bring them back to Great Britain. Imagine what that would be like if your history and your story was that you were actively part of human trafficking, treating people as if they are less than simply because of the color of their skin and where they come from. And so this is what John participated in. And he would later tell stories and it would haunt him about the things that he did to dehumanize people who were made in the image of God, who were knit together in their mother's womb, and he was a part of it. He was even captain of one of the ships. And he would talk about the things that he saw, that he permitted, that he participated in, treating these people terribly. So then later, he becomes violently ill. Probably not taquitos. And it causes him to retire. And he starts really following what this journey is of, of, of becoming more like God and starts to really realize what he participated in, what he was involved in, what he did. So when he writes the words that saved a wretch like me, he means it. Imagine what those two words, amazing grace, would feel like to him to know that not only can God forgive me, but he can redeem me. And not only can he redeem me, but he can use me for his purpose. Because this song now, historians say, is sung over 10 million times annually every single year. That's how God can take our mess and turn it into his message. So now that you know that, that's worth celebrating. Now that you know that, I've invited my best friend, Gerald McCormick, to sing Amazing Grace for us today. Enjoy. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved us.
But now I'm found Was blind But now I see What what is grace? Grace is unmerited favor from God. Meaning something you don't deserve, something you can't earn, regardless of who you are, who you were, it's the grace of God. And John Newton experienced that on a deep level. He then became an advocate to end human trafficking, slavery, in Great Britain. It would take the United States a couple more decades to wise up. In fact, even later in life, as he's just kind of clinging on to life in 1807, he saw Parliament pass the Slave Act to end it. So he became a part of the solution. Imagine if he would have stayed in the state that said, I'm a wretch. And that's really what I want us to focus on today, is how do we progress from becoming a wretch to being a part of the plan to fix the problem? I, I have a story that takes place in Baxter, Tennessee. Anybody ever been to Baxter, Tennessee? For real? Why? <laughs> Sorry if you're from there. But I went to Baxter. Uh, I taught there for a while, uh, middle school. And uh, there was this guy there at this place called the Whistle Stop. I don't know if you've ever been there. It's a good peach cobbler. But, uh, but I went there, and there was this guy. He was old, man. I mean, like, it's probably Gerald's grandfather. I mean, he was old. And, and, uh, and he said, you know, he's a retired preacher. He said, you know, you can ask this guy anything, and he'll answer. You can ask him anything. So I asked him, I said, uh, you know, we talked about this last week. I said, why do bad things happen to good people? Because I need to know how to answer that. And this is what he said. He said, who told you you were good? I was like, first of all, rude. Second of all, I need another peach cobbler, please. But it's the reality of, well, who told you you were good? Who, who, who are you without Jesus in your life? I know who Jason is without Jesus, and Jason can mess things up in a hurry. Can I also just confess something to you? You need to remember this if we're ever going to become friends. I love buying people gifts, but I want to see a reaction out of you when I buy it. My wife is terrible at this, man. I want to see a reaction. You ever bought somebody a gift, like a good gift, and you were excited and they opened it and they, it was a little underwhelming with how they responded? That makes me mad, man. I, 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 I hear that and I, see their, I hear their response and it's like, hey, thank you, this is great, next gift. And I'm like, hold on. Rewind, open that again. Because apparently you didn't see the price tag at the bottom. Let me tell you something real quick. Let's be honest for a moment, okay? If you buy it cheap at Ross, Heather, you rip off the price tag, right? Just conveniently so that, like, they can't see it. If it's expensive, bro, you leave that on. I'm taking a highlighter. I'm highlighting it. I'm tweeting it out how much it costs. Like, you need to know. And so one time, actually all the time, my wife is bad at this. Like, I'll buy her something, and I'm like... What do you think? What do you think? And she's like, I really want to give you the reaction you deserve, but I don't, I don't, I didn't really ask for this. I don't really want it. And I'm like, bro, so selfish. 
Anyways, so I'm going to be honest for a moment. When I was younger, I was in grad school, and I was young, and I was really broke. Now I'm just old, and I'm really broke. <laughs> Hashtag inflation. But I saved up because it was my brother's birthday. And before I met Gerald, my brother was my best friend. Now they're co-best friends. And, and, and I saved up money, and I wanted to buy him something really nice. And it was a lot of money. How much money, you ask? $49.99, which is a lot of money. Like me showing up to your party, that's good enough. But I saved it, and I bought him a pair of, Le saved him money. I bought him a pair of LeBron James Cleveland Cavalier shorts. And, and these things were nice. I left the price tag on. And he opened up the shorts, and he did like them. He didn't give me exactly the response I wanted. I wanted something a little extra because I'm a little extra. But, but it was still pretty good. But I knew how much I had to save and work to buy those shorts. I was making minimum wage, y'all. I was like $7 an hour. That's a lot after tax to buy those shorts. And because it cost me so much, I wanted to see him wear those all the time. In fact, if I ever saw him not wearing those shorts, I got mad. I'd be like, bro, wear those calf shorts. And he's like, I wore them yesterday. And I'm like, yeah, I know. You didn't brush your teeth. You should. Why'd you change your shorts? Like, <laughs> I want to see you wear those shorts. Every time we play basketball, you better be wearing those shorts. Then LeBron James leaves the Cavs. He goes to the Miami Heat. You still better be wearing those shorts. I see you. If I randomly stop by your house on Tuesday at 11, 13 a.m., you better be wearing those shorts, Nancy. If I see you at the Walmart on Saturday, you better be wearing those shorts. Why? Because I paid too much for them for you to not appreciate them. Now, hold on a second. Today, we're going to be talking about how to not waste grace because Jesus paid too much for us to do too little. Ha, ha, ha. That's a lead-level preacher segue. Some of you don't appreciate it. I want us to look at a story in the Bible in which some men wasted grace, in which some men treated Jesus as if what he did in their life didn't matter anymore. So we're going to be in Dr. Luke's gospel, if you have a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry about it. We'll have it up on the screen. We're in Luke 17. We're going to start off at 11, we're going to go all the way to 19, we're going to hover there for a little while, and then later we're going to get to 1st and 2nd Corinthians, in case you don't have those little tabs on the side of your Bible and you're panicking because you don't have the books memorized in order, neither do I, don't worry about it. But I want you to hear this because there's a deep theological truth associated with grace and how to not waste grace. Here we are, verse 11. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Now hold up. There's a couple of things we got to know right here to set up correct context. First of all, we have how many men? It's the number after nine before 11. How many men? You're so smart. 10, yes. And they had leprosy. I want you to go back in time to what you were like when you were 13, 14 years old. You had pimples everywhere. Take that times 100. So leprosy was a skin disease, man. They feared it. They were a little ways away from the bubonic plague. They were a little ways away from corona. They, they, but at the time, it was like the most feared thing because it was a death sentence, and they didn't know how it was transmitted. 
But what it would be is, 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 is all the hair on your body would fall out. Imagine what you'd look like. And, and, and then you would develop these giant sores that would pus and they would be nodules all over your face and, and your skin would become like just, it would harden and flake and, and your limbs would actually fall off. Eventually it would get into the nervous system of your brain and spinal cord and, and it was a death sentence. And, and believe it or not, that, that wasn't even the worst part of it. The worst part of it was what it, was, what it did to your reputation and your relationships. So if you'll notice, it says right here that they stood at a distance because they had to stay 50 yards away. Social distancing before social distancing was cool. 50 yards away. They had to yell unclean if they were encountering any group of people and they had to stand downwind because they didn't know how it was going to be spread. So what society would do is it would ostracize them. So you have these 10 men traveling because you need friends. It's like the worst posse of all time. And, and, and they were traveling in hopes to find Jesus. Now, Jesus lived a nomadic lifestyle for most of his ministry. So it's not super easy to know where Jesus is. Uh, uh, Jeremy and Michelle, you have an app that tracks Tristan, your teenage daughter's phone. What is it called? Parents, it's called Life360. Teenagers, my condolences. It's the greatest thing God ever gave to people with teenage daughters. If Jesus had Life 360, we could know where he was and they could follow him, but they didn't know where he was. So I'm sure that the moment that they see this man from Nazareth that they've heard can heal, it was a moment where they were just ecstatic. But they still had to stay far away. And they still had to stay downwind. But the thing is that probably hurt the most of any of it was what it did, how society viewed them. Society viewed them as if, because the, the, they, they considered leprosy to be a curse from God. That there was something wrong with you spiritually that God wasn't pleased with you, so he gave you leprosy. And so these men are ostracized from other humans and they're considered cursed by God and they probably started to believe it as well. And they're clinging to desperate hope and they see Jesus and they yell, Master, have pity on us. Verse 14, when he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. And here's the part I want you to hear because somebody needs to hear this today. And as they went, they were cleansed. And as they went, they were cleansed. Why is that so important, Jason? Glad you asked. Because you and I, we want healing from God or we want answers to prayer before we do anything. Because you're a control freak. <laughs> you are. So am I. Some of you are more control freaks than others, Jenny, but, but, but not everybody is at the same different levels, but we're all control freaks. But, but here's what we want to do. Before we do what we think God is calling us to do, we want to make sure that everything is lined up perfectly so that we know we won't fail or we don't leave. If some of you want healing, but you don't want to ask for it publicly just in case God doesn't heal you. So you're waiting so you know for sure he will before you say anything because what if he doesn't? That's not how God works. Some of you want an answer to prayer, but you're just keeping it in your prayer closet. And prayer closets are great, don't get me wrong. But you're not wanting to say it publicly to your friends, to your church, to your circle of friends, because what if? So we want everything lined up perfectly, and then we're going to put a couple safety nets down there just in case God doesn't just show up, you know? So I think about, like, uh, uh, Abraham, I want you to go. Where do you want me to go? I'm not going to tell you yet, but 
get going. I mean, two-thirds of the word God is go, right? So he said, just go. Or, or when they're marching around Jericho, or, or, or uh, when Naaman had leprosy in 2 Kings 5, I think. Yay, 2 Kings 5, yay. Uh, in 2 Kings 5, uh, uh, Naaman gets leprosy, and Elisha, the prophet, tells him to go dip himself in the Jordan seven times. I've been in the Jordan. It's nasty, man. It's not clean. It's, it's, like, it's like being baptized at Nashville Shores. Like, no thank you, right? But, but, <laughs> but I hope none of you work there or own it. Uh, but if you do, your tithes should be better than it is. Uh, but but, but we, uh, he tells him to go into the Jordan and dip seven times. Why seven times? I would feel stupid going in there in front of everybody and being like, one, two, don't worry, I'm not going to do this seven times. My hamstrings are 41 years old. Come on now. Uh, 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 three, like, and, and then when you start approaching seven, it's like, dude, I'm going to look really stupid if this doesn't happen. Healed. They were healed as they went. They were healed as they went. Think about so many times when God asks men and women to do great things in the Bible, he makes them travel before they do it. And I always wonder why. And I think it's to have something at stake. I'm traveling all this way. What if he doesn't show up? Why didn't Abraham just sacrifice Isaac right there? Why did he make him travel for a while? Why did all these things happen at a distance? Because I think God wants that, that faith as they went. And then there was also a little bit of something that, that, that required some faith by them leaving because they didn't even get close to Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but if Jesus is going to have a miracle and he's walking around, I think that he's going to probably, you know, put his hand on my forehead or at least yell a Pentecostal fire and let us just be healed right there. <laughs> Too soon for that, sorry. Like something, right? But instead, he just says, Go. And as they left, they were cleansed. So, so it's interesting because as I read the New Testament, as I read the Gospels, I see that Jesus heals people in different ways, and I wonder why. Sometimes it's, it's a woman touching his cloak. Sometimes he speaks it. Sometimes he touches them. One time he spit in somebody's face. Like if I got a card and it said, which way would you like Jesus to heal you? Like spit in my face is going to be at the bottom. Like, but, but why? Why different ways? It's, it's probably because if there was a simple algorithm to healing, we would follow that rather than have faith in Jesus. If you want to be healed and have your prayers answered, do this, 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 and this, because that's what we humans do. So these men had to just trust that when Jesus said they were cleansed, they were cleansed. And listen to this. Verse 15. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan, which is a whole other sermon in itself. And Jesus asked this. I want you to hear this. This is what has convicted the heck out of me this week. We're not all ten cleansed. Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your what has made you well? Your faith. That's haunted me because I've, I, 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 I could hear the words of Jesus. This isn't a parable. This is a real story. I could hear him say, where are the other nine? A tenth? That's all that came back to give me praise? Was a tenth? Here's why that bothers me so much. Because if I look back at my life, more times than not, I'm in that 90%. And so are you, if you're not intentional. 
How many times has God answered a massive prayer for me? I'm praying for something. For healing. For a job. To fix my marriage. To release me from this anxiety and this depression. I need a miracle. And you're healed. And you're super grateful for a day. And you're pretty grateful for a week. And you're grateful for a month. And you're, if I remember, it was kind of nice. Thank you, God, for doing that six months. And then a year, it's like, I don't even really remember where I was. If this is you, it does not make you bad. It makes you normal. But sometimes we can hear the word of God and hear a story like this that can remind us to be thankful. You know, if I just talk about myself for a moment, if this, if this is you, then I have no idea, but let me talk about myself, okay? If it applies to you, so be it. But I'll remember, I, didn't, I wasn't raised a tither, and so it was really difficult for me to learn that act of obedience and that act of worship as a grown-up especially when you're raised poor. But my wife was, and my daughters are being raised to be tithers because I want God's blessing upon their finances and their life. I just do. It's obedience. And, and I remember one time I lost my job and I was desperate because rent was due. And I, <laughs> this is crazy, but I literally found a check in the safe that I had forgotten to cash and it was like rent plus a hundred bucks. So I'm like, bro, we got rent and Taco Bell. Let's go. Thank you, Lord. The Lord is my shepherd. He knows what I want, right? But, but I found that check, and then I was literally praying, God, how am I going to pay rent? And I did. And, 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 and then I, I feel the Holy Spirit's being like, hey, are you going to give back to God a portion of that? And, and I didn't. And it just became easier. And I, don't worry, we're not passing the offering plate again, but I, but I would be a bad pastor if I didn't bring things like this up. About a little over a year ago, my family and I got in a major car accident in Nashville. In fact, when the ambulance showed up, uh, they were shocked that there wasn't at least one fatality. It was that bad. And yet we walked away. A couple scrapes. I mean, I walked like I played an NFL game for about a month. But, <laughs> but I never hugged my kids as hard as I did that night when we got home safe. And breakfast never tasted as good the next morning ever again as it did that next morning. And I had never been so thankful in my prayer life to God, man. I remember saying, if you never do anything else, man, just the simple fact that my children survived, it's good enough. Yet the year anniversary came up a couple of weeks ago, and I didn't even remember it. And I spent 365 days. Where are the other nine? We talked a few weeks ago about starting our prayer life with what we're thankful of, thankful for. Because one, I believe it unlocks God's blessings. I think that it gets his ear to be a little attentive. But I also think it gives you and I some perspective. Because it's really easy to focus on what God hasn't answered and forget. Where are the other nine? Didn't they all get healed? Where are they? I don't want to be the nine, y'all. I want to be the one that will always come back and worship Jesus and say, thank you for what you've done. Thank you for who you are. Don't waste grace. 
if, 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 if we were just to receive salvation, and trust me, I love salvation. Don't get me wrong. But if it was just that, then the moment you gave your life to the Lord, you would get beamed up to heaven like Scotty on Star Trek. I think he's the one that did the beaming. I don't know. I'm a Star Wars guy, but you understand. But we would just be gone, right? Why? Why would you stay the rest of the time? To declare God's glory and to take people with you. God uses human beings to tell his story. But let me tell you what I love about my God. I love that he doesn't take this uh, clean, wrapped in cellophane, factory reset version of Jason. He takes my wounds and turns them into scars and has me use my scars to tell people that healing is possible in Jesus. That's how he can take your mess and turn it into his message. That's how he can take your gory and turn it into his story. That's some elite level preaching right there. Come on now. But how many times do we not come back with thankfulness? Thankfulness looks like a lot of things. Serving, praying, consistency, giving him glory. I don't read my Bible very much because I'm tired and I don't like to read. Nine out of ten. Ah, it's raining outside. I don't want to go to church today or bring my family. Nine out of ten. Woo! I hope you're as convicted as I've been this week, but it's good, man. Sometimes God's going to do a little heart surgery on me. So I'm just preaching to you what I've been going through for the last seven days. I have this. I want you to, to, to hear this. This phrase has been haunting me. The truth will not expire with me. Because we're one generation away from them not knowing who the Lord is. Some of you have some curses, some generational curses that you have turned around. So let's create ones, let's create a life for our children that they don't face those curses anymore. You may still have to deal with the ramifications of them, divorce, alcoholism, sexual perversion, all of those things. But you can have your children no longer have to fight those battles anymore because you broke that curse. The truth will not expire with me. So let's shift and talk about Paul's letters to the Corinthian church. I'm just looking at three verses. You know I'm approaching the end because Gerald's coming back up in five, four, Three, you better hurry up to the two, one. That's how you know, so it's time to relax. I'm letting you see behind the curtain for a moment. But I want to look at one verse in 2 Corinthians and two verses in 1 Corinthians. And if you want to have a really good idea, a simple way to understand Corinthians, view it, this is how I call it, I call it First and Second Californians. Because that'll give you an idea of what was going on in the church of Corinth. The church of Corinth would probably be in L.A., Mike. I mean, let's be honest. There'd probably be Dodger fans. First and second Californians or Corinthians. But here is what they fell into. And it's the same thing you and I fall into. This idea of what was going on in society. Now, Paul called them saints, even though they were all messed up. So it's not a matter of salvation. But they fell into the trap of caring more about what was going on in society than their purpose. And they lost it. They needed money so they could keep up with the Joneses. They probably wanted the nice cars. They probably wanted the nice house. And that became more important. And then the other thing that's the battle coming against the church is that they cared more about not offending the culture that was around them even if it caused them to no longer follow what God said because they didn't want to be canceled hashtag woke right 
and they fell into that trap of getting sidetracked away from their purpose. They were wasting grace. And Paul's going to remind them of it. Now listen to 2 Californians 6.1. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. I love that phrase. As God's co-workers, God needs men and women and children to do his work. He lets us be a part of it. And that's why I think Satan is going to fight so hard to make you think that because you've messed up, you have forfeited your purpose. And I don't see that anywhere in Scripture. Jesus never used guilt as leverage. As so many of the authors of the New Testament reminded the saints of who they are and what God has called them to do. Co-workers. One translation says co-laborers. Did not receive God's grace in vain. 1 Corinthians 15, 9 through 10. This is Paul writing, for I am the least of the apostles and not even do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Now hold up. What if John Newton, when he wrote Amazing Grace, that's all he did? I don't deserve grace because of what I've done, so I'm out. I think that's Paul's way of saying he always is going to remember where he came from and who he was before he encountered Jesus, literally encountered Jesus. But he didn't stop there. He says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. Did you hear that? Let's put that in terms of you and I, how we actually speak. Because of his grace, now I am who I am. I used to be broken, but now I am fixed. I used to be a sinner, but now I am a saint. I used to be irredeemable, but now I am redeemed. I used to be discarded, but now I am a daughter or son of the Most High King. He's saying, because of the grace, I am who I am. And because of that, his grace will not have will have an effect on me. It will not go without effect. Meaning because of what God has done for me, he's going to get his money's worth. Because I'm going to tell people as often as I can and proclaim with my lips that who he is and what he's done for me. But the church is getting lazy. We are wasting grace because we are too worried about keeping up with society and too worried about being canceled in a broken culture. Paul is saying, because of that, I am who I am. And because of that, his grace was not without effect. Listen to this. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but by the grace of God that was with me. Humility all the way. But imagine if he would have just stayed in a season where he said, I'm a wretch. I, I despise, and I'm sorry if you've done this or if you go to one of these churches and you're visiting, where they just hang around as if they're this beaten down sinner that doesn't have any power and just walking around limping through life and I'm like no 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 if you minimize the power of the Holy Spirit in you then you've minimized the entire New Testament and the blood of Jesus he says because you have the Holy Spirit now you could do things even greater I'm, I'm, I'm tired of the church sitting around saying I'm just a wretch you were now you are righteous. By Him, we are made righteous. And I think it's time we start walking around with our heads up a little higher 
because our picture's on God's fridge. So here's the challenge. You know when they say if you've asked everybody, you've asked nobody? <laughs> or if I say, hey, I want you to go tell everybody you know about Jesus, and then you're like, okay, cool, yeah, I'll tell everybody. But everybody, and then you just kind of forget. Here's what I want us to do. Now, I've done it too, already this week. I have this person. I want you to be laser focused on one. And you do everything you can for that one. And it's a little more powerful if they're in your day-to-day -day life. What God's done in this season here at Centerpoint, I didn't expect. But he's brought in so many people who are de-churched. We're reaching the lost. We're reaching the community. But I didn't really see it coming because it's never really been a spiritual gift of mine. Is that God is bringing people who have been hurt by other people or the church or have given up on God, or they've encountered religion rather than relationship. And I've heard so many people say, I told myself I would never step foot back in a church again, yet here I am. And now they're serving. And I see the men growing to be the leaders of their house. And we just celebrated our 12th baptism in the last six months in our first service. Like, I'm starting to see these things. And I think it's great. I think that there is a huge chunk of people within the 93,000 unchurched people in Sumner County that we can reach those people who have been hurt. I say, no, 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 you still have a purpose. If you're breathing, God knits you together in your mother's womb. And, and I want to end it by, by, by sharing this. This right here, I didn't do this in the first service, is this oil. I got this myself from the Garden of Gethsemane in the Holy Land. So these are probably the great-great-grandfather olives of the ones that Jesus sat under because the olives fall and then the tree regenerates out of it. Now, before you go crazy, this the power is not in the oil. The power is in the Holy Spirit. Yeah? But knowing that this was like from Israel in there, like it makes it kind of cool. But, but the reason I keep this on my desk is because this oil represents power because I've used this multiple times and every single time I've used this oil, there's been healing. And I want to be reminded of that. I had a lady come up to me at my former church and she had had multiple miscarriages. And she said that the doctors have made an appointment for her the next morning to abort the child because they said that it's going to be a stillborn. And she said, but I don't believe in it. And, 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 and I need a miracle. And so I had her husband put this oil on her belly and we gathered around and prayed. And that kid's four years old now running around the church. And I want to be reminded of that. We've had people with heart issues and cancer get healed with this. Now, again, the power isn't here, but I keep it on my desk as a reminder of what God has done and that he's going to continue to do it because we need to be reminded that the grace of God is in perpetuity until we hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And it is amazing.